After pressing questions and tearful testimonies, President Gregory Fenves admitted, we have failed you. This is in the news. I'm audio editor Sarah Schleed, and I'm here with editor-in-chief Spencer Buckner. Hi, Sarah. Uh, managing editor Lisa Nahn. Hello. And news reporter Lauren Groby. Hi, Sarah. Hello. Uh, so we took a few weeks off for winter break, uh, and now that we're back, there is a lot to catch up on, namely Monday night's sexual misconduct town hall. Uh, this town hall was held in response to the multiple protests last semester concerning two professors that were found guilty of sexual misconduct and the concerns students have with the lack of transparency surrounding the university's sexual misconduct policies. Last semester's protests also resulted in the creation of a misconduct working group who have been meeting regularly to discuss possible solutions to these issues. The group hosted the town hall, reading pre-submitted questions and allowing audience questions for Fenves, Executive Vice President and Provost Maury McInnes, and Dean of Students Sancia Reagans-Lilly. Um, so I believe most of us, if not all of us, were there last night. Um, can you guys describe what it felt like to be in that room? Honestly, no. Yeah, I, I mean, we've been writing these stories. I, and I've been working with other people on writing a transcript of it, and it's not really a substitute for being there and seeing these testimonies in real life and and hearing people recount just all their frustrations and and traumas. It's hard to capture in like a story or a transcript or even a video, I feel like. Uh, yeah, I've been writing about like UT's Title IX office since the summer, since the, the beginning of the fall semester. Yeah. And it's throughout that when I've uh, spoken to people, you know, they've, they've shared their frustrations, but it's like people who are able to talk about it and people who kind of know what they want to say. Um, but at the forum, there were people who were just begging Fenves and McInnes and uh, Regazzoli to do something. And that was, that was very different. It was very hard to watch. And it was very hard to sit there and pretend to be a journalist and like it didn't affect me um, when the university still has to take care of me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're students too while dealing with all of this um, and trying to remain impartial. Um, and I remember I was like holding the like Zoom recorder and like trying to like carefully hold it in one hand while I like use the other hand to like wipe away like snot and tears. Um, it was really hard. And I think there was a lot of emotion coming from one side and then the other side was very uh, like professional and the responses came off to be like they might have thought of these responses beforehand or at least like vaguely like what they wanted to try to co convey. Um, and so it, it was it was kind of interesting to see like them, I think, slowly realize like just how like much like people are hurting from this. But it's sad that so many people had to like air their trauma like out in the open in order for that to happen. I mean, it, I mean, if if this is what it took for the university leadership to understand how much the student body is hurting, they clearly have not been following the protests of last semester or listening to the complaints 
of students for months and probably years. <laughs> yeah. I, Spencer, you've been working pretty closely with this, like, cause. So, like, what were some of your impressions of it? Um, I mean, I think I, I've been since our last editor-in-chief, Liza Anderson, who has been so involved and so instrumental in making this known publicly and, you know, being a part of the movement. I, I was on her editorial board last fall, fall 2018, and it's it's one thing to read statistics about this and to read list of professors' names and even to read like findings reports about what has happened. Um, and it's it's another thing to have to see and hear testimony live of just in- incredibly traumatic, awful things that students have had to go through on this campus. And it was just so jarring. To, to hear that and just and and have the university officials just give the most sanitized public relations you know it was it really you it's one thing to write about it and to get the university response on stuff like this you know reading emails you know the, these very well thought out responses that, that don't mean anything it's another thing to hear it live after someone has you know probably done one of the hardest things I'll ever have to share in their lives it's yeah it was it was it was a lot it was a lot and so what were some of the questions that uh, students asked uh I believe the first question that was asked was something along the lines of uh why should we trust the university's determination of what constitutes a safety threat uh because I mean clearly the trust in the university has been lost and uh I, I got the feeling that the leadership didn't really answer a lot of these questions specifically. They didn't, there weren't answers that were provided. It was a lot of, we hear you and we're listening and we'll work on it. We'll have that conversation later. I think, oh gosh, Fenves, he said something along the lines of like, like this that's the question that we have and like that's what we need to talk about but I'm not going to answer that right now yeah it's like this is what this is for (laughs) yeah Yeah, (laughs) we've been waiting we've waited months to have a conversation face-to-face with administrators and god I don't know a quarter of the questions they just they responded with we'll have a conversation about that later Mm -hmm. it was it was just downright offensive I think one that's been catching a lot of attention of people is one that we've featured pretty prominently in our reporting and also other news outlets have and it's that quote by Greg Fenves where he says yes we have failed you and I think I wanted to give more context to that quote because you know that came maybe an hour into the town hall um not town hall form (coughs) sorry Sarah, don't cut this part out. Don't. <laughs> Do you need water? Um, no, I'm good. So yeah, that quote I don't where he any, says, so. "Yes, we have failed you," came in came in about maybe an hour into the conversation, and that had happened after multiple people had asked, you know, what do you think went wrong, or et cetera, et cetera, and it only, you know, we only got that response after a student said, and I'm going to read from the transcript we have on the website right now. Um, the question, and I would like to hear from each of you, it is a yes or no question. Do you think you have failed us? And that was not the first time they had asked 
a question along those lines. And we really only got to hear that response from Fenvez and the other panelists after repeated requests from students. So when you see that quote online, I hope that you now understand like the context of it because it wasn't something unprompted. Um, it wasn't something he said in the beginning of the form either. It was something that, you know, the students were demanding, like, show us more emotion. That is literally something that one of the um, students came up and said and was like, show us more emotion. I want to, and she said that through tears. She was crying. Um, and yeah, again, while all these stories, um, you know, that we're publishing and the transcripts and the, and, and the audio clips that we're sharing, while they convey a fraction of what happened, I don't think they really capture fully what was happening in that, that room. People should not have had to air their private and personal traumas in front of a room of people, in front of the leadership that should be capable of making these decisions for them to finally say something or commit to something, which they didn't even really do. Yeah. It was, yeah, it seemed kind of like speaking to like a wall. Um, yeah. Not a lot of, there. towards the end, they, they would like stand up if somebody like said something like really mm -hmm. horrible and like give them some tissues. And there are a couple instances where they're like, we'll, we'll talk to you after this and we'll get your situation resolved. And that's really nice. But like, it's not just like their situations are like, they're uh, not unique. Randomly yeah. bad. It's that the system has made them a lot that of way. people are experiencing the same thing. And these people are going to maybe get the help that they should have gotten because they broke down in tears and begged them face to face to do something. Mm -hmm. Right. And we made it, uh, at least on part of news, we made it a um, a choice not to include some of those more emotional testimonies from survivors. And that was in part because we didn't want to out them. You know, those aren't our stories to tell. So, you know, I think it is confusing to hear us say, like, we were so emotionally moved by these testimonies and that, you know, a lot of us while reporting or after were really emotionally, I'll put it like for me, I was really emotionally drained. Um, mm -hmm. But we can't share that information because it's not ours to tell. Um, right. And it's really hard because I would, I just wish everybody had been there, but it's hard to replicate that. Right. Mm -hmm. So we had to make it a choice not to include some of those more emotional parts. And and while it might not fully capture because of that omission, I think it, for us as journalists, the responsible thing to do is to keep students safe. And if we revealed anything about those testimonies that did have personal details that could put them at risk about open investigations, that was just not a risk that we from news were willing to take. Yeah, I, th I think sometimes with journalism, people think that like, oh, we have to re reveal as much truth as possible and like share as much information as we have. But that could actually like harm um, your sources. And so I think I think it it's good to respect the privacy of mm -hmm. sources. More more is not o more information is not always better. Right. I think it brings especially with, you know, reporting on things like interpersonal violence and sexual misconduct, 
there's there should be as much thought into what you put in as to what you don't put in Mm -hmm. um just because these stories you know that we publish this audio everything it's permanent it's out there forever for anybody to see and anybody to get access to and even though we might try our best to protect some people that that isn't always the case right um we've talked to some reporters who've you know professional reporters not um who have done similar stories and even though they might try to hide their sources identity the best they can in order to protect them sometimes there's only so much you can do right um you know if you live in a small town and it's very clear who you are that's you know that story stays with you for sure um and so since it was kind of a lot of um conversation and back and forth to wade through what what were some of the actual like resolutions that came out of this um president venves said he would attend a working group meeting correct he did Uh, he said he would be attending the next one um a student also brought up a question about the required uh sexual assault modules that incoming freshmen have to do um i mean you don't even really have to do them you just have to do them to get access to your grades by the end of the semester but and I don't think I finished them. And I mean, I just got my grades like at the end of spring. And, and people just click through. People just click like through that. them. So, you know, they're not they're not exactly the best education in the world. Um, but she said that the module did not include enough information about sexual harassment. Um, and uh, Reagan's Lily said that they would be looking at updating the module. Um, uh, there was like one more thing that they like said they were going to do. There were, like, three things. At the time, I know they said that they were going to have, like, a plan made by, like, spring, like after spring break. Yeah, they said right. they were expecting recommendations from Hush Blackwell, the law firm that's currently reviewing the university's sexual misconduct policies. They were expecting expecting recommendations from that law firm uh, before spring break. And then they would consider those recommendations after spring break and whether to implement changes to their own policies. Uh, but that's since changed, right? Yes. Uh, Fenves sent out an email uh, Tuesday afternoon saying that they asked the law firm to expedite their work and they will be receiving recommendations uh, by February 28th. And then the university will, I assume, start considering those recommendations. There's not a lot a timeline beyond that. Uh, in that same email, he also uh, said that they would be hiring two more investigators for uh, the Dean of Students Title IX Training and Investigations Office, um, which... So is that, is it eight now or is it eight and now two more? There are currently uh, six investigators at uh, that work at the Dean of Students. So those are the Title IX cases where um, a student has filed a case against another student and at the Office of Inclusion and Equity, which is if a student files against an employee or if an employee files against an employee, they currently have three. Um, But when both are fully staffed, they should, each office should have six investigators. I see. Um, and one other thing, um, that I thought was kind of notable is, um, somebody was asking why the university doesn't send out like a semesterly email, Mm -hmm. um, listing 
professor or faculty and staff that have been found guilty of sexual misconduct, like they do um, share like hazing violators every semester. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Fenvez said, well, yeah, that's that's something we're considering. Like, do we want to do that? And then there was there were shouts of yes. So um, he didn't commit to that, but he's at least aware now that there's high interest. I think it's also important to note that the hazing reports that get sent out are a state mandatory thing. That is not something that UT, you know, just willingly chose to do one day, like it might have to with these misconduct policies. That hazing is, or that hazing report is the result of a state law. Um, Not, I, although UT now does give out more information that's required from by the state law from what I can remember that might be wrong someone please fact check that I don't know um we'll have our team (laughs) google it (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah I think you know I have some experience in hazing reporting and I think that was always really interesting to me um you know the release of those reports they're not something that universities traditionally have done on their own and have traditionally always even with UT given as much information as they can right so even on the hazing emails that get sent out it's a very brief description of what happened and does not um, really encompass or give context as to what kind of hazing occurred because just like um, sexual misconduct hazing is also on a spectrum too right like it goes from there's just a lot of different actions that um, constitute hazing or sexual misconduct. So context is important. Like people need to know what type of harassment occurred, what type of hazing occurred. Like it's really important when we talk about transparency, it's not just giving us like a list of people. Like that's just not enough, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, And so before this like over winter break, UT did release some records that um, reveal a little bit more information than they have before. Uh, Three faculty members and 14 staff members were found in violation of the university's sexual misconduct policies between November 2017 and December 2019. Um, Can you guys explain a little bit more about like what those records contained and what's significant about that? Um, Yeah, those records got sent out um, after the four protests and um, requests from other reporters. Um, I know because they sent out that information on kind of like a big email list for (laughs) basically every major newspaper in Texas. Um, The information includes um, the employee's name, uh, when the first complaint against them was filed, what actions they were found to have to have done and what policies they violated and then what sort of uh, punishment they faced. Um, Of the three professors who were found in violation of the sexual misconduct policy, none of them were terminated. Um, Hutchison was suspended. Uh, Sarkar also believed was suspended both for a period of time. However, um, none of the named professors were officially terminated by the university. And that, that was another thing that came up last night was, like, what is the proper, like, discipline for these things? Mm-hmm. And, like, do people deserve another chance at, like, understanding why they're wrong or do they just need to be 
um, fired. I don't know if this is exactly on topic, but I think it's worth noting that the university um, often compares its policies to like the standards of higher education or like other similar universities. Hush Blackwell also performed a similar review of Title IX policies at Texas A&M. After completing that review, um, any employee any employee found in violation of the sexual misconduct policies at A&M is immediately fired. So, oh. So, I, in terms of um, whether or not like this policy is comparable or whether or not they, um, they have this policy because it is the standard in higher education, um, that's, I don't think that's really the case. I don't know if I can say that, but, you know, fun fact. <laughs> no, I think it's really interesting. Like, if you see other universities are also grappling with this issue at the same time, um, a great example is NYU. This is not something that is unique to the University of Texas. Um, so I think Lauren brings up a really great point in, you know, comparing this is a problem in higher education as a whole. Like, this is not just something that we are the only university having to to review and kind of reckon with what does this mean for students when this is the policies that are in place. And it is not impossible to implement drastic changes. It is, in fact, very possible <laughs> to change your policies. Because A&M did it, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. among other universities. Right. So so what what's next for um, organizers or for, from the university? Like, what should, like, concerned students be keeping a lookout for? on this topic? Um, that's a great question, honestly. The Misconduct Working Group, which has been working, if you can say that, on the town hall, um, I mean, they, they have been working a lot on it, but how much their ideas have actually been listened to is, is another story. Um, they're still going to be meeting after this. They're going to be discussing um, vocabulary and the sexual misconduct and harassment policies. Um, they're also going to be doing, God, I think a couple other things, but mostly the big thing they're focusing on is, is the vocabulary. Um, there are 10 students in that group. How much say they actually have is very questionable. Um, so who knows what'll come out of that? Um, Hush Blackwell's report, uh, as was mentioned, is going to be coming out earlier now, February 28th, mm -hmm. right? I think that's probably gonna be the next big event unless there's another big protest or something that happens. I'm sure the protests are gonna continue. Mm -hmm. um, but I think uh, UT has on the record said that they will release the report that Hush Blackwell, they're, they're Hush Blackwell's recommendations. So I think seeing what Hush Blackwell recommends will be very interesting. Um, after that, I don't know. I'd imagine once that report is released, Maybe they would try and implement some of those policy changes before the end of the semester, or just I'm, just uh, I don't know. Who knows? I I, I don't think we can assume anything. Yeah, because <laughs> I mean, it, it's up to UT what they do. They don't have to implement. Oh no, yeah, they don't have to do anything. And say support. Right. Yeah, I was talking to a few of the organizers of the protests after last night, and I think, you know, for them, last night wasn't it. It was just. Yeah one of the things that they've asked for, there are still many more calls to action they have left. I get the feeling and impression from them that they are gonna keep fighting and they're gonna oh. keep keep at it. Um, so I don't think in terms of like what's next for students, I think 
from what I can understand from talking to them, it's more organizing. It's more calls for transparency. I don't think this is an issue that is going to go away from our campus anytime soon. And it doesn't seem like the like those in charge will understand what we're asking unless we ask it very loudly and yeah, um, yeah, obviously. I think the time for conversation is over. I think the town hall was that opportunity. I mean, God, fingers crossed, the next thing that happens is things actually change. How likely that is, I, I, I don't know. But, I mean, that, that has to be what happens. It should have happened a long time ago. Both producing this content and hearing this content related to sexual misconduct and interpersonal violence, just a reminder, take care of yourselves. Um, this is a really hard thing to both listen to and report on. So just make sure that you're taking care of yourself and the people around you. I think that's always something that I try to emphasize when we do um, report on something like this. It takes a lot out of you. So just make sure that you are taking care of yourself in return. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I really, I really want to commend the bravery of everybody who spoke because in situations like that, you're going to feel angry whether you stay silent or if you speak. And if you speak, you at least get the chance to make things better. Um, and so that's just really um, brave and wonderful, and but also really scary. Um, so that's all for this episode. Uh, thanks to Spencer, Lisa, and Lauren for coming in. Uh, make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud so you can tune in in two weeks for another episode where we will talk more about what's in the news.